0: All right, welcome back, Brad Franz. and a couple announcements to start off, because for better or worse, you're stuck with just a single Brad today, discussing some science topics, some science stories. However, luckily, my lovely wife, Dr. Teresa Kisco, has agreed to join us. Hi. Hi, Teresa. Hi. And so the, science, the stories that we're going to discuss are going to be, I kind of picked them to be sort of in her realm of expertise, and we will get to that in just a minute. However, first, I have to ask you, Teresa, what's the worst part about going to a scientific conference?
1: Expensive bars.
0: Expensive bars. Okay, yeah, that's that's not good. Not what I was looking for. What's the second worst thing?
1: Well, uh, people that don't know how to use a computer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for their talks. For their talks, yes, okay. Still not what I was looking for. Number three. What's your, what's your number three thing you don't like about going to conferences?
1: I guess it has to be the poster tubes. That's right. Yeah.
0: Carrying those awful poster tubes. Oh. Terrible. Going through the airport with those, trying to get them checked in, trying to get into your seat. They don't fit in the overhead compartment. Then
1: they get crushed. They People get, get pissed. You get looks. Oh. Sassy
0: comments. Sassy comments. Just the worst. But you can avoid all that by going to featherposter.com and getting a sweet canvas poster. So you can get your poster printed on canvas.
1: Canvas.
0: Yeah, canvas, the material, cloth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you can fold it up. It'll fit in your suitcase. It doesn't crease, will not crease. Mm -hmm. So you can fold it up. You can crush it into your suitcase. It'll take up barely the same amount of room as like a handkerchief. Unfold it when you get to the conference. It'll look great easy to travel with and if you go to featherposter.com and at checkout use the code 2BRAD, T-W-O-B-R-A-D, all one word, 2BRAD, you'll get $10 off. How? They ship anywhere in Canada in one to three days. Cool. That's right. It's very cool, Teresa. Super cool. So, for any of the academics out there or anyone in general that's going to a conference and needs a sweet uh, poster, Print it on canvas. Try something new. Try it out. Ditch the
1: tube.
0: That's right. Get with the new hip age of hip stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The new hip age of hip stuff. You heard it here first. Featherposter.com. Check it out. Use the code 2Brad, T-W-O, Brad, uh, and you'll get $10 off your sweet, sweet canvas poster. I'm ready when you are. All the country's on a knife edge. It's only what 30 minutes late starting Let's do this <laughs> It's a joke obviously You are infantry. We're not rioting yet. and you don't even know what you're talking about. But Spider Goat sounds way cooler than Manta Rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. you, you, You need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they even went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. As I mentioned before, I am with my lovely wife, Teresa. We are hours away from leaving Sardinia, where she has been doing an internship in a a lab here. Um, So we're squeezing this podcast in before we go. Hopefully the the neighbors of our Airbnb upstairs aren't too loud, but if you hear some banging and crashing and shouting in Italian, that's that's our neighbors. and before we get to the sort of research science stories I picked for, mm-hmm. specifically for Teresa, uh, we, have to, we have to do one thing, Teresa, we have to, you have to bear with me for what, just one thing. And I think you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Our listeners would be very upset if we didn't give a quick Ebola update. Mm-hmm. I know you listen to every show, right? Yeah, of
1: course.
0: <laughs> so you're very familiar with the Ebola update. And as you know the Ebola outbreak in Congo is, unfortunately, still going on. Um, I believe the cases and death tolls now is up to both around 2,000. So that's very unfortunate. There's a lot of people working very hard to get this under control. And very quickly, there's just two updates that I think we should touch on. Number one is that, unfortunately, there's been a confirmed case in the city of Goma. Which is the biggest city in Congo, I believe, the capital city, and this is a big problem because obviously that, you know, um, means that there's a lot more people that can be infected. Uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult to control if it uh, if it um, starts spreading there. So that's not good news. Apparently, they've got, from what I read, just on Twitter quickly before we did this. Um, they sort of know who this person 's been in contact with, so hopefully they can contain it rather quickly. but I believe there 's an airport in goma as well, so that 's not good you know for the spread of the disease um, and then the other thing is that the health republic uh, or the health ministry of the of the congo has said that they 're not going to use any more experimental vaccines, so they 're not going to trial any more experimental vaccines, so we already have like one, I believe, that's been in use and the results have been very good. However, they didn't want to introduce another one even though there are concerns about how much the, how long the supply of the first one that you're using will last. Uh, and this is because of the problems of mistrust with the with the population, with the public right now. And so they feel like if they started bringing in another one, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to exacerbate that situation of mistrust and people will be wary of it. Um, so anyway, that's the Ebola update. Teresa, thoughts? Ebola? Did you ever think we'd live in a, in a time where a disease as frightening as Ebola just seems to be the norm in certain places?
1: No, I didn't really think most of the things that are the norm would be the norm. Growing <laughs> <laughs> so up, you had higher hopes.
0: <laughs> well, we have high hopes that the Ebola situation was going to get taken care of very soon. Um, and with that, why don't we move on to what we sort of came here to talk about today. So like I said, I found a couple, as I was perusing through my uh, press releases and research updates and stuff, I found a couple papers that I thought were really interesting. The titles definitely grabbed me and it made me think of you, Teresa because of your sort of background and, we'll say, experience in the fields of animal vocalizations and uh, social behavior. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So why don't we just start that? Why don't you give us a little quick what, you, what it is that you do and sort of what your expertise is? Because I know that With some of the stuff that I've brought here to discuss, it might be stretching your expertise a little bit, but you're certainly more qualified than I am. And as far as the bar that Brad and I have set on this podcast in terms of being qualified to talk about things, you're definitely more qualified than most. So why don't you just give us a little background as to what it is that you do or what you study? Sure.
1: Um, basically, like in a really general sense, I study social behavior and social communication in um, an animal model. Um, right now, I'm working on a model that has a genetic mutation, which in humans is found to be linked to uh, mental disorders like bipolar, schizophrenia, autism, uh, depression. So we're interested in the effects that this gene has on the subsequent development of of behavior and in my research it's specifically the social behavior and the social communication aspects that I'm looking at. By social behavior, primarily I have focused most of my career on play behavior and early um, social interactions and ultrasonic vocalizations, which are, as the name implies, ultrasonic, um, so out of our hearing out range. Out of our hearing range, and yeah. Um, so rats make these um, vocalizations when they play, and when they have um, positive states of uh, affect, so they're in a good mood. Um, you see them in response to drugs as well, um, like amphetamine. They make lots of these ultrasonic calls. So yeah, this is what I—that's what I focus on. That's what I study.
0: In, an, in a nutshell. In a nutshell, yeah. yeah. So, I guess social behavior is where we can start. Because um, the first paper that we'll like kind of look at, do you have it pulled up there, Teresa? I do. Because um, maybe you could just read us the title.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Because this title is what really grabbed me when I first saw it.
1: So, the title is... Correlated neural activity across the brains of socially interacting bats.
0: Whoa, sounds intense. Mm-hmm. And then to me, right away, it sounded like okay. The brain activity is correlated as two bats are socializing, and we'll get into the details of it of it in a minute here. But maybe let's start with. a you know, a little bit about social behavior because we know humans are social creatures, um, lots of other animals are social creatures, probably more animals than people expect are social creatures and, you know, engage in social behavior. But could you just generally sort of, you know, social behavior in animals, its importance, what are some of the topics that you look at or that are important for the field?
1: Sure. Um, So, giving a really brief Wikipedia um, definition, Uh, social behavior is behavior, obviously, Uh, and it's among two or more organisms within the same species, um, and it encompasses any behavior in which one member affects or influences the behavior of the other, and this is due to the interaction between those two members. And so... I mean, the one thing I don't necessarily like about that definition is that it's same species. Because, I mean, I mean, yes, in terms of animals, it's, generally they're playing with their own species, but...
0: Or their behavior, they're interacting with their own species. Yeah but.
1: yeah, but I think it goes... I mean, it's not limited to just species... Humans play with dogs, humans...
0: Well, and we've all seen those adorable Instagram posts of, like, you know... Uh, cat and dog getting along or, you know, the cats that grew up with bunnies and now they hop around. Instagram has proved a great yeah. resource for interspecies social behavior. That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, so, I mean, social behavior is, I mean, as humans, we know it's, it's part of our everyday life. You have some form of social uh, behavior in some way almost every day unless you just couldn't Completely are isolated living in like a hole in. Unless you're one of
0: those basement internet trolls that people love to. Yeah,
1: but they're still trolling. They're still (laughs) having social behavior which is interacting with someone else via internet or otherwise. Ah,
0: so we'll still consider that social behavior. Yeah, so Uh, yeah,
1: of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: Alright, so because we're involved in it so much, then it's safe to say that it's very important.
1: It is, yeah. You know,
0: for development and stuff like this. And I know one of the things that you look at is play behavior and Mm -hmm. play behavior in rats. And there's some evidence, we'll say, I I mean, you correct me if I'm totally wrong here, but it seems that there's some evidence that, you know, play is used as a way to learn and it's important for social development uh, later on in life. Is that correct?
1: Yes, That's. I mean, that's what it's seems like all the evidence is kind of pointing to this, where if, uh, for example, with rats, uh, if you take a rat right after they're weaned, so when they don't need to be milk-fed anymore, and you isolate them completely so they don't get any social interaction with other rats, um, and you leave them this way for 30 days, which is their critical developmental period, In humans, I think this can go up to like the age of six. Usually it's like zero to three years. It's like super critical, but it can go up to the age of six. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so you completely isolate them. They don't get to interact in any other social way. Maybe they get to just look at some other ones and that's it, but they can't touch or physically interact. Um, They will have some severe uh, developmental delays later in life. They um, will have, they won't like cognitive. Uh, Impairments; they won't be able to function if you put them into a social environment. Um, The 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 interaction usually tends to get aggressive um, by one rat or the other, attacking or beating them up, or no. And in mating situations, they don't really know what to do, how to do things properly. It's like kind of the success of the mating is like significantly reduced. So. There's, like, so many arrows pointing to this, you need some sort of a social interaction in your developmental stage in order to be able to function appropriately in situations as an adult. And this applies to humans, too. There's classic examples in psychology. Um, I think the one of the best-known ones would be, like, genie.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mm-hmm.
1: maltreatment, like severe maltreatment.
0: Yeah, it's a really quite a disturbing had. story. And
1: yeah, it is. It's, look it up. I won't go into detail because we don't really have time here. But another one is like... Um, well,
0: I think we should touch on it just a little bit because she was uh, isolated by her parents, right? Yeah. So yeah this was child abuse, 100%. As, yeah, but it, mainly her dad, yeah. I guess, was... You can look this up on like YouTube and there's documentaries yeah, and stuff it's like this. It's
1: horrific, actually, the kind of abuse that she had to suffer and how she was treated. Like, they would only her siblings and mom were only allowed to speak to her in grunts or barks. So they weren't allowed. They were not allowed to use language and talk mm-hmm. to her. So this is all when they kind of found her and rescued her.
0: Yeah. It's kind of what she knew. And she was therefore then severely. Yeah, behind developmentally extremely and behind
1: and she started to kind of catch up Um, but she she had so many like social issues obviously she was terrified of other people mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. things like this but I mean there was only a limit that she could reach after because she had been in this period for so long I think maybe she I don't I don't know how old she yeah. was, but definitely past this critical, critical stage I think maybe she was I want to say 13 when Somewhere they found her something yeah. like that so she was like for years uh, had this abuse and then started to get a little bit better she developed some language capabilities and but there was a some limit social as relationships that's right but there was a limit and she couldn't get past that limit and that was kind of the rest of her life was yeah. like, this, like and cognitively she was
0: behind so and so could behind. never catch up Yeah, yeah. No. and so I mean like th- that's one really extreme example there's also the examples of children that live with animals during the first yeah. you know like sort of orphan children, feral children I guess they're called mm-hmm. so there's examples of this so it's basically social behavior is super important yeah. and I mean it makes sense you know that social behavior is important for you and to learn. positive social behavior. Positive, right, nice positive social behavior. <laughs> the right kind, the, yeah. the kind that we've evolved to sort of Use. And I guess that's the point is that there is certain social behavior that animals and humans, because it's, we see it all over the um, animal kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, so it's clearly a trait that's important, you know, and has evolved not just in humans, but in other animals. So that's one of the reasons why you would look at animals as well. And like we saw just the other day, those adorable turtles mm-hmm. in this pond. And one of them was like, I was watching it and it's like fronting on this other turtle. It's like this little one is just swimming in front of this big one and just grabbing his face and just like smacking it back and forth. And I was just like, what is this turtle doing? And then you would circle them and do it again. And just like it seemed like he just wouldn't let them alone. And you were like, well, they're probably playing. This is probably, you know, turtle. And I had no idea that turtles played, right? But... I guess my point is, besides the fact that that turtle was super adorable, it was hilarious to watch, is that there is a right way to play, and I'm using play here as like the stand-in for social behavior. So there's a right way to do it that reinforces the things that, you know, we need in development, whether it's humans, animals, whatever. And so that involves sort of some, sometimes some complex behaviors.
1: Yeah, very complex. I mean, obviously not all play and social behavior is complex, but some of it is... Some of it can be, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so then, you know, the brain obviously is coordinating these activities. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, some brain resources that are going in there. And that's what brings us to this study in BATS, because I guess what they saw was they were looking at the brain activity in bats that were socializing, and they noticed that it was very similar or synchronized.
1: Synchronized, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, and let's just, before you dive into it and tell me how wrong I am here, (laughs) I saw that and I was like, okay, of course, if we're interacting, you and me, and we're talking, my language areas of my brain are going to be firing, you know, lighting up, Mm-hmm. for lack of a better word or what a term or whatever. And so are yours, because we're going back and forth and we're both using the same centers of our brain. But it's not just that, that they found here. It's even deeper than that in terms of the level of synchronization, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So actually, the this, uh, this study um, is one of the first to observe in non-human species or to observe non-human species engaging in natural social interactions um, that gives us a potential for understanding um, diseases that affect social social behavior, for example. So it's, yeah, maybe that's a bit confusing. Uh, So in humans, they have been doing this for a little while, sort of, but you can't, you're limited with humans what you can do. So you can look at fMRI, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't give you electrical activity. That's just a blood oxygen level.
0: Um, right. So looking at humans when they're socializing, you can fMRI will show this act. This brain so region same is active. The areas
1: accurate. are lighting up. Right. Yeah. Right. So they call this like hyperscanning
0: in okay.
1: people and EEG.
0: Um, that's the electro- cap. that they
1: wear. Yeah. Yeah. That's the cap. Um, this can measure some electrical activity in humans, but it's also limited in the frequency of the brain waves that it can pick up.
0: Okay.
1: So that's why this study is it's unique and it's really interesting because they can now look at the higher frequency brain waves and they can look at individual neurons. So,
0: as the animals are socialized. As the they're channel.
1: in a natural environment, and that's right. key here because the studies in humans, it's not natural social interactions generally scripted or like a that's very like a, structured
0: like um, a task that they yeah, have to perform yeah, or something. Right. Yeah, yeah right so let's just touch on the brain waves real quick mm-hmm. because i think most people know that you know your brain causes electrical firing right like it's just ele- your neurons are firing there's these little electrical yeah. things going off so that's one thing you can look at with a sort of invasive technology like they use in this where you put like an implant or an electrode or something in the brain so you can look at individual nerve firing but then there's also the brain waves so all of this electrical activity kind of creates a a wave like a radio wave we you know um, and then so people might have heard of this in terms of like alpha waves, alpha brain waves or something like that. And there's some, like when you sleep, right, you go, you, your brain. Yeah,
1: then you get these delta brain waves right. like deep sleep.
0: So this has to more, this has more to do with about like the coordination of a bunch of neurons firing, correct? Mm-hmm. And so if both brains were waving on the same, on the same frequency, it's strong evidence then that there's, they're, they're that there's the firing of their yeah. brains is coordinate is on is doing the same thing basically yeah, yeah. that's right
1: yeah and um, and I just want to mention because it, I think it's also important that this um, what most of the human um, studies are kind of lacking uh, is a spatial and temporal resolution so you, you can't get this good detail to resolve local field potentials so this is like the groups. From what I understand, like I'm not, electrophysiology isn't my thing, Mm -hmm. but from what I really understood is that this local field potential is like the groups beyond. So this is kind of what, so your electrons or your neurons in the areas like of the local field. So then they're... Yeah, I, I'm not sure how to... Well,
0: when you say spatial and temporal resolution, so obviously spatial means like the location within the brain, mm-hmm. so they can isolate a, a smaller location or a more specific location in the brain and look at the brain waves emanating from there.
1: That's right, and how these transmit to other parts of your brain ah, through okay. like the spatial and temporal resolution. Over time. So as they're going like from one part of your brain to another because you have to think like when... Mm, social behavior is so complex you're not just using one part of your brain yeah. you're using multiple and so you're going to in coordination need, in yeah some kind so of you're going way. To need some neurons in all of these areas interacting and feeding back and forth to each other to create this outward behavior
0: so as these animals, as these bats are socializing you can get they were able to get a picture of how the brain waves are well so brain waves being a stand-in for Mm -hmm. the neurons firing in a certain way throughout the brain so they could get this whole you can see
1: signals across yeah i'm
0: picturing like a picture of a brain and then like you can see like the sort of flashes going through it and all around it to all these different things which is more or less what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. that's really cool Mm
1: -hmm. that's i mean this is my understanding i mean if any electrophysiologists are listening, and it's, I'm wrong, they should just tell you.
0: I'm sure we have a ton of electrophysiologists <laughs> in the audience. <laughs> you never know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So what? Why? What?
0: Where what? were we at? Yeah. Okay. So we went through the brain waves and sort of, I guess, looked at. We've just broken down what they're looking at. Yeah. So you can see that these brain waves. So basically, the neural signal. We can see how it's moving throughout the throughout the brain, over time, as the interactions are going on.
1: Yeah, and from individual neurons, which is... And what, from
0: individual which neurons. Which you can't do in humans. So. Right, 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 right. So then let's talk about maybe the setup. So what were the bats doing?
1: Yeah, so what they did is they had um, like a chamber, a little box, that they put two, two bats in, mm-hmm. and then they simultaneously recorded the brain waves because they had these wireless... Um, um, electrodes or implants well, or whatever. It so is. the implants are in the brain, and then I'm assuming they have like a little backpack or like a little collar little back, that, they, that they wear that's <laughs> like lightweight and allows them to freely right. interact. So they recorded the session for over like 100 minutes mm-hmm. or around 100 minutes. Yeah, I think it was 100, yeah. And then just let them do natural interactions so that no, nothing was forced, nothing was planned, nothing. These bats weren't so it, it, was it was a forced.
0: very chill. Natural bat hangout. Super chill.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then they looked at the the brain waves of these two rats, or bats, and, I mean, they they mentioned that one of the really interesting things that I think the postdoc, one of the postdocs on the paper said, is that they'd never seen before. From the raw data, you could already see this synchronization.
0: So synchronization in the brain waves in over time in the two individuals.
1: Yeah, this is a coordinated pattern. Rhythm of, pattern. Yeah, 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 and this is not like from the raw data. So you're not you don't even have to do your normalization and your
0: sort of scientific analysis. It all out, doing yeah.
1: it all out to get your average. This they could see it right from the raw data, which is kind of rare in science to mm-hmm. get something so robust right away, um, and. It's really cool because they can. They found that when they were doing individual things, kind of still.
0: So they're in the same cage. Yeah. But they're not necessarily like in contact with each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So one could be grooming and one could be I don't know climbing
0: around. Chilling in the corner. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. And
1: then they're kind of they're not. Um, yeah, they're not as synchronized. Mm-hmm. But not. Yeah. And then when they start interacting, even if they're still doing different things, but they're having an interaction, this is when they start synchronizing.
0: Okay, so even so, if one's still grooming, but the other one kind of comes over and like crawls over it or something, yeah, their brains start synchronizing even more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Whoa. It's I mean it's it's really cool. And then so they like did a bunch of stuff. where They tested um, trying to like rule out certain hypotheses to see like well maybe it's just the environment maybe it's just because they're together in a box
0: that the brains go into this socialization mode or whatever yeah
1: yeah so they um, took them and they put them in their own individual boxes Mm -hmm. and then simultaneously recorded the brain waves and the behavior Mm -hmm. and now there wasn't any synchronization so it's not just that it's the shared environment that's doing it. It's this, this actual social interaction that seems right. to be the thing, because then what they did is when they're in these individual chambers, they now added a second bat, a so, new partner yeah, a new for partner, each new bat. Partner that's not being recorded, right? right? So they don't have uh, electrodes. But when they put in the second bat, now I mean, you, then you would think, okay, now their brains will synchronize because they're both doing they, the social interaction. But no, that's not that wasn't happening they they were not synchronized
0: right
1: with each other right that is they might have been synchronized with the other bat, right, but or not with each yeah. other
0: and basically, so this if I get this right, you do this where you have the two bats that you're recording their brain waves, you put them in separate boxes with new social partners, and if this was just a simple matter of during social interaction. Just
1: reacting to the same yeah, environment.
0: Right. So during social interaction, your brain just goes into this scripted social behavior mode. And you would expect that the even if they're not interacting with each other, they would still have these same brain wave patterns. Mm-hmm. But that's not what they saw. No. So that says that it's very specific to the individual that you are with at the moment.
1: It's Yes, that it kind of comes down to sharing the social experience together.
0: And that's what makes your brain synchronous. Yeah,
1: yeah. and So, so it's
0: a mind meld.
1: That's right. And they showed it even further by throwing, the, now they put the two back together in mm-hmm. one box, and they toss in a third one. A third wheel. Yeah. And they kind of compare this really nicely in the paper and in the, like the press release for it. About um, it's like going to dinner with as a group of three friends, and uh, maybe you and I are having a conversation, and whoever's with us is listening. Mm-hmm. So they're they're not like actively part of the conversation the because only yeah. two people are talking. Yeah. But they're paying attention. They're still sharing the social experience, mm-hmm. and so. Therefore, in terms, back to the bats in this group of three, now they're synchronized again,
0: these brainwaves.
1: Even if the...
0: Even the third wheel. Yeah. So even if you're sort of not in the direct interaction, your brain still syncs up with the others.
1: Exactly, and they showed that, um, I mean, the third bat, they weren't recording their brain, but still looking at just the two.
0: Yeah, but if one but, of the two they if, were recording yeah, was exactly. the third wheel, yeah, still in sync. Yeah, they were all
1: still synchronized. So it, it really is this shared social environment that's... Right. Sinking their brains together, and they kind of like um, compare it to a closed loop. So saying that it's like, mm, like a the serpent. brains, are, yeah, the brains are kind of engaging in this indirect way through the behaviors. So because it's and in this high frequency, this is the big the big thing I think maybe I forgot to mention is that the the synchronization was in this high frequency band.
0: So a, a type of high frequency brainwave.
1: Yeah, okay yeah which I mean, you can't from my understanding, it's difficult to measure this in humans, especially with EEG.
0: Okay
1: So um,
0: but what's the significance of it being a high frequency?
1: Yeah, so this is hypothesized. Um, they don't like they mentioned that they are not really sure what this high frequency does, but it seems to be involved in complex behaviors. For Uh, example, social behavior. Because it's engaging, I mean, high frequency, so it's like, yeah, it's It's engaging a lot of different areas Ah, of your brain. So your um, sensory, emotional information processing, attention, working memory, all things that you need to have a social interaction. Because, I mean, you talk to someone, you pay attention, but you're also listening and you're thinking ahead to what you're going to say next, and all of these are super intricate workings of your brain. Things we take for granted, but... That's right, and this high frequency creates this closed loop, it seems, when you're having a social interaction that allows the brains to then uh, indirectly engage through the behaviors, through the anticipation of what the other one's going to do, and being able to prepare for... What they might do that maybe you haven't necessarily thought of. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the thing. Like, well, first of all, our brains are probably core are sinking right now, aren't they?
1: Likely, likely.
0: Well, I can yeah. feel it, Teresa. Yeah. I can feel it. We're sinking right now. We're vibing. We're on the same yeah. level. The second kind of trippy thing that comes to mind here is this idea that the brains are doing this. Like, and maybe this isn't totally true, and again, you know, you could stop me when it gets too weird. But it, just some of the ways that it's described, it sounds like, okay, so our brains are interacting with each other through our behaviors or indirectly through our behaviors. Mm -hmm. So that kind of separates the brain from yourself, you know, which is a kind of weird and trippy idea. In that it's like, oh, it's not just you and me interacting, but our brains are actually interacting in a way that we don't even know and we don't even recognize. But they are like my behavior, your behavior towards me, my behavior towards you is influencing your brain. It's influencing my brain and causing this this mind meld, this synchronization of, of waves. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Like, that's super trippy.
1: And you don't even have to be doing the exact same behaviors. They show this in the bats, is that, um, yeah, when they're interacting, they're not doing the same things, as we mentioned already. Mm-hmm. But the brains are still synchronized. So it's not the, what you're doing. It's this experience that you're in. Uh, so that's in even just. Crazier. Yeah, I I think it's yeah it's really unique I think and it's really cool that they can show this in in animals. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, in a very social, like the bats are very social creatures, right? Yeah. And so that's
1: or this particular bat. I mean, I think bats in general live in social groups. Yeah, they're in
0: mean, these giant colonies, right? So, yeah. And they're probably vocalizing this whole time too. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah yeah that's so crazy to think that we're that the brains are coordinating on this level that we don't even think about and that we might not even consider what we're doing together to be that coordinated of an activity yet our brains are on this same frequency now what do you think is the purpose like evolutionarily for this you know like why would like is it Or is there a purpose? Or is this just a byproduct of social interaction? Or is it like your brain has to be sort of on this wavelength in order that social interactions go smoothly?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... uh,
0: This is where we can start to speculate.
1: (laughs) It kind of... Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, evolutionary, I mean, it shows that I mean, in order to have complex behaviors, complex interactions, brains are working together. Mm-hmm. And so the evolution of a social species can maybe be reduced down to just this complex brainwave that, in a reductionist way, mm-hmm.
0: you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, it makes sense. I'm just, I'm just yeah, I... It just seems so weird, like it makes, it makes complete sense that to maintain complex social behaviors, you would have to have some kind of, you know, well, and isn't that one of the things of social behavior is that it's, there's reciprocity, like it has to be like a give and take sort of thing, or is that not?
1: Uh, I mean, reciprocity is more of like a thing that keeps play playful. But, yeah, social interactions, you still need this, like, back and forth. If if nobody's responding to you, likely you're just going to walk away or give up because you're getting nothing back. So you need something back,
0: but... So is this maybe, like, a way that, like, you know, brains developed to get on this wavelength together? I mean, this sounds like, it kind of sounds like, it starts to sound a little woo-woo, whatever, to think that it's, like our brains are doing this without our knowledge and they're doing it for our own good. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like I said, it makes it sound like the brain is a separate entity from yourself. As like, hey, look, it, I know what's good for you and the brain in that guy's head knows what's good for you and so we're going to sync up so that you guys get along and so that you guys, you know, hang out for a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it just...
0: Obviously, that's a, like, a, like a not scientific way of portraying it, but that's what it feels like.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's um, giving us just like a teaser into the insight of like, how our brains process social interactions. And it, it's like that we can't look at in humans. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Now we can use other social species to look at the origins of this possibly or the evolutionary building of this. Mm-hmm. And how Social species as a whole develop
0: and then what might this say for people that have social disorders
1: yeah this is that's I mean obviously there's a lot of research needed to really kind of get to that point, but yeah you get, it can it has implications definitely for understanding behaviors like autism where there is probably some Disconnect, maybe some desynchronization mm-hmm. between their brains and others, because during social interactions, I mean, we know that uh, autistic individuals don't aren't generally social, and they at least in the ways different. that
0: we consider exactly, and
1: maybe maybe their brains are synchronized differently or no. are not synchronized, and this is, I mean, this it gives us. Tons more insight into why things might be the way that they are or mm -hmm. what might be happening. Obviously, now this opens the door for so much more research. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder now, like, you know, again, warning, total speculation. Brad's going to go off on something that's probably not true. But what if when autistic people, two autistic people socialize, they have some kind of synchronization that we don't have.
1: Yeah, I mean, that could be possible. Maybe they have like a brain frequency that... Like
0: a different brain wave yeah, or a yeah. different time or scale or yeah. something like well, this. It's possible, I suppose. This thing also kind of gives me this idea that, and I mean, I know that they did this experiment where they separated the bats and they show that it's not just a simple script, like it's mm-hmm. not just a, that your brain flips into this mode, but it kind of still has the semblance of that in that it's like this mechanism, this of brain synchronization or this pattern of brain waves that you know is common to all these socially interacting species or at least individuals. I mean, we're kind of assuming that if these bats have it, humans have it. And there's, like you said, some evidence for humans having it. But that it is like, it's like a mechanism. It's like, you need that. You need that in order to be able to interact socially. And so we wouldn't be able to have the complex societies with social behaviors that we have without our brain's ability to link up with another brain.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... Kind of what it seems like they're suggest not suggesting, but that you could take from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I mean, if you think, like, I mommy, mean, brain research has gone so come so far. There's mirror neurons. To right. Think about these, so this is. I mean, it's not exactly like this, but it's also. I mean, you're watching someone pick up a spoon, and the exact same neurons are firing in your brain as the person picking up that spoon.
0: So my brain mimics the neural pathway or whatever. It fires along the same neural circuitry that would be required for me to pick up the spoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so.
1: It's really neat, I mean. So
0: our brains are vibing and syncing up all the time.
1: Yeah, likely.
0: Get out of my head, Teresa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy so then hive mind we're all like on this hive mind we're all on the same frequency maybe
1: maybe we are and
0: maybe. it makes me think and we kind of talked about this earlier when we were talking about this before recording So, like social insects mm-hmm. what would their brain frequency be like would they all be just like super locked in or what like
1: yeah good question i I don't know.
0: Like, I, don't. I wonder... Okay, again. Yeah. Speculation yeah. alert! <laughs> what if you could sort of, like, look at a hive of insects and see and record the frequency? And so you have the... Because ind- their brains are really small, they got stupid dumb ganglion, not like real brains.
1: And I think generally they would die if you tried to record I mean, you'd have to kill them. Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: but let's say it was possible. You could look at individual yeah. ants, and then that frequency as a whole. I wonder if the whole colony—if you measure like the whole colony—if it creates this like super frequency, like a you know like a big synchronization thing going on, because they're all just sort of in sync with each other and interacting all the time.
1: But but then you I guess would have to wonder. How complex their interactions are.
0: Right. Well, I mean, it's got to be kind of complex because they use chemical cues, right? They use a lot of chemical cues, so that's got to be kind of complex, no? Sniff. Do you back. think
1: they're anticipating and mm, creating several different backup plans for what their aunt neighbor is going to do if he decides to go off track? I don't know. Yeah. That's why uh, you can't. You no. Know.
0: Um, um. I don't know either, but this just made me think of something else, because what about, like, swarms? You know, like, even, like, birds, you know, like, when they... Because they have this, the, the science, the research that shows how, like, in, like, fish, schools of fish, or birds, or swarms of insects and stuff, it's, like, it's a way of transmitting information, right? So they're ready to react, basically. They just react to their neighbor, and then their reaction gets passed on to them, and then it gets passed on to the next neighbor, the next and that's why they're able to like move in these very coordinated ways. So that's okay. like a kind of a synchronization, synchronization as well. And they're ready to interact with, at the moment's notice, with the neighbors around them. So I bet their brains are synchronized too.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, this is the, now this has been opened, this research is out there, and people can now start looking at if other brains are synchronized during natural things mm-hmm. like this, like,
0: and to what level? Yeah,
1: and exactly. at what frequency? And like, and yeah.
0: yeah. What happens if they're not? And yeah. this just blew my synchronized mind. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. I love the idea that we're all vibing on the same frequency together when we're hanging out. And then you got to think. Then, then you think of the real. But hippie. then you
1: wonder if there's a limit, like. If there's or 12 of you now you're gonna like fraction off oh like
0: into and little all clips. 10
1: of you probably i don't know if you would be on the same level maybe groups two or three i don't know what's the limit
0: right what's the limit of the group size before the brains yeah. to sync up exactly. yeah because mm-hmm. I, I was just gonna go like be like the real hippie guys it's like when you're having a really good party or you're having a really good time with all your good friends and stuff it's like that's because we're all synchronized on the same level, bro. It's because we're all right. like vibing together, man.
1: What was that um, um, concert we went to in Berlin, where the DJ was like, "Everybody stand up!" And oh, major laser! Everybody up. Everybody sits down, and it was like, it was like a hive mind. It was really weird. Yeah, super creepy. coordinated. It was creepy. There was like what Yumi and two others, not. Not
0: sitting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we weren't synchronized with that hive mind, yeah, no. Just no watching, like, what the? Yeah, so <laughs> that was crazy. I wonder then, too, one more before mm-hmm. we move on to the next one. Yeah. What drugs might do to that? Would it yeah, good question. increase your ability to synchronize? Like, make it easier to synchronize or decrease it? I wonder.
1: Yeah, good question.
0: I mean, sign me up, I'll do that research.
1: You and um, I think the list is probably pretty
0: long. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, well, while all our brains are clicking on the same frequency here, why don't we go to another one? Is, let's see how much time we have before we have to catch up. Late. We got some time. Uh, okay, so the next one involves not bats, but goats. Ooh. That's right. And this really speaks about emotions, right? Like, I think that's the broad topic. So why don't you give us the title of the paper again?
1: Sure. Goats distinguish between positive and negative emotion-linked vocalizations.
0: Right. So I read this, and I saw vocalizations, thought of you. And I also thought about previous, we'll say, discussions, debates mm-hmm. we've had mm-hmm. in, a, in our relationship about whether or not animals have emotions and whether, I mean, I guess it's safe to say that they have emotions, right? I, mean, I, well, I, I thought you were supposed to be on the I, animals have emotions side. I am
1: I'm firmly on that
0: side. But, but whether they experience, my, my thought was always like, Coming at it from you know my biology background, is that emotions are really just a reaction to stimulus, right? And that animals don't necessarily feel it the same way we do. Or maybe they don't put the same emphasis or emotion, or not emotion, but you know what I mean, on it. Like I guess I'm looking at it as the anthropomorphizing of these Things mm-hmm. and like, is that safe to do? Can you can you say that in 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 animals? You know, like that, it's sad that an animal is sad, or is it just sort of like negative stimulus? Like, I,
1: I mean, saying that it's sad. Yeah, this is anthropomorphizing. This is giving it a human word mm-hmm. to describe what it is. But it's entirely possible that it's experiencing negative emotion. It's in a negative emotional state, which we have named sad. Right. So
0: So grief is the one that kind of always trips me up Mm -hmm. because this is one that, well, why don't you, you mentioned before in these discussions that we've had, there's three components to emotion.
1: Yeah. So let me just give you a, again. Wikipedia definition. <laughs> uh, emotions, uh, these are conscious mental reactions. This is from a human definition. Conscious mental reactions subjectively experienced as a strong feeling directed towards an object accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes. So here, it kind of you can point out the three key components for humans to have emotions is that you feel you say what you feel, you feel sad, you feel happy,
0: Mm -hmm. but there is
1: these physiological and behavioral responses, which these are measurable. In humans' feelings, the way that you feel, this is subjective, and obviously you can't ask an animal, how do you feel today?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, how did that make you feel?
0: Right. Even though... Pet owners are doing this all the time, telling you how their animal feels, and what their animal loves, just, and it jars me <laughs> nuts. You don't know that. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, so, I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, that's, you can't, yeah, you can't say that that's what an animal has, but if they're having a physiological response and a behavioral response, why does that not, it just makes it, not emotions because they can't tell you how they feel. Right. I think that's not.
0: Right. And so you have the two components that we can measure physiological response, behavioral response. So physiological response like heart rate going up or down, you know, or
1: cortisol levels?
0: Cortisol levels, so hormone levels, mm-hmm. um, your know, pupil dilation, this kind of stuff. And I mean, I guess you think of that, you know, what are sort of the classic emotions that You would think it's pretty easy to say that animals have fear. Yeah. Fear is a big one, And this is,
1: you can see through behavior. And, I mean, this is why they have, they think that animals have emotions. And why I would think this is because humans experiencing similar situations, let's say, as you would do to a rat or any any other animal, you watch their physical... um, physiological response and their behavioral response and they're identical Hmm. so just because the person can then articulate and tell you that i am scared scared. but the animal can't but they're they're having the exact same response
0: so so like tensing up or
1: yeah or a heart
0: rate going up running
1: away running away
0: you're watching a
1: terrifying movie and you, you get scared and you run Right. Well, I don't know, whatever, whatever <laughs> is that. Somebody comes behind you and jumps out from a dark corner and you have a startle response. And right. Animals react the same way. Their right. heart rate will quicken. They'll... Right.
0: Yeah. So then for me, the tough one to look at, and this is the, the example that I kind of always used in these discussions we have had, is grief. Mm-hmm. You know, because what is the purpose of grief? I mean, as, as a human, you don't really, like, we think about it as it's like, well, I really love that person or that thing or whatever, and I lost them. And so I feel really sad about that. But in an animal, you know, sense, I mean, we, there was the example of the whale that was famous. I think it was last year. Oh, it was. <laughs> I, I incorrectly said a month two months <laughs> two months in whatever it doesn't matter yeah. in previous yeah. discussions one year ago. yeah in, on the west coast yeah. and it was like you know the calf died and the mother whale stayed with the body for like ten days or something yeah. at the detriment to the morning, its it yeah. yeah well but at the detriment to its own health right like it's not eating it's not you know with its other pod mates so it's exposed to danger and yeah so it's like, what is the point of that? Because when you think of, you know, again, from the biology perspective, it all comes down to evolution, right? Like a behavior, especially one that's going to be so costly in terms of energy that you're expending or not intaking, like you're sacrificing food to, to convey this emotion, this behavioral response. Um, what's the point? What, what, you know, why would you... You think, you know, all of us, we kind of consider, human, we consider ourselves not, you know, kind of above some of these base drives that animals have, that evolution, you know, is basically all about passing on your genes, so reproduction. I mean, we're, people think we're above all that, but we're not really. That's what everything's all about. Um, but for an animal, the consequences are much more dire you know like we have time to grieve and we think about like we there's some i don't know process for it or like benefit to it in humans hmm. but, but there
1: maybe you, that's something that you just hit on we have time to
0: grieve boys animals don't
1: maybe but maybe this one did maybe the conditions were right that it did i i don't i don't know because it's there's not many documented cases of
0: Right. Something
1: like that. But it
0: just—I just, just like—I just struggle with what's the purpose.
1: What's the purpose in humans?
0: Well, I don't know, But that's—that's, that's, I guess, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, we don't think about that as humans because we think of emotions as just like these high-minded things, like like mm. you know concepts of art and like but experience, like love and you mm. know, loss and all of these things. But when you see it in an animal, it's like, well, what is it? What is the purpose of that emotion? Mm.
1: And I don't... I mean, obviously, I don't know. No, Nobody really, I think, knows for sure. As far as I know. Maybe someone out there is, you know, does, but I don't know. Um, but then to speculate mm-hmm. again. This is, like, a key word. Um, possibly, if you could think about it in, like, some sort of a learning sense. Maybe they... Learned or learn from the experience that they have maybe the mom was a younger mom I don't know and the baby she took through maybe a dangerous area of the harbor or something I don't know why the baby died yeah, right, 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 right. and so maybe it ate something or it got caught in something and this is like a learning experience that she has or maybe it's Beyond that, it's a coping, learning to cope with stressful, with stress in general, let's just say, Mm -hmm. because obviously the loss of anyone, anything, creates stress.
0: Right, one, if your biological, all of your biological drive is to have, to reproduce and raise that
1: that thing. so much time and yeah, yeah.
0: There's so much on the line there that then to have it go awry... Is a stressful situation,
1: mm-hmm. and possibly it's just a disconnect. It doesn't maybe understand that it's dead at mm-hmm. first, or keeps waiting for it. Maybe it's just it's just not moving. So come on, just move. Yeah, and then realizing that it's not, and having to like come to terms and cope. Yeah, I mean these are obviously still applying human. Terms to it, human thoughts. that's human all we have—is yeah, human exactly. terms. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess
0: I don't know what the whale word Is for I would me. say,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't know. I have no idea. But maybe it's like some learning. Or
0: so then, coping. this gets to the idea that like emotions are tools,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I think is a really interesting idea. In that it's like tools not just to facilitate against social behavior because that's a big part of emotion right would be social situations yeah but it's also you know when you think of fear it's environmental
1: so yeah so let's bring it to people and that i mean to develop socially you need emotions right because Emotions are keys that we use. These tools for making decisions, for perception, learning, and other cognitive functions. All of these use emo- your emotions. Mm. So, I mean, unless you have no emotions, but I think even people that are severely emotionally deprived still have some form of emotions. So, these
0: yeah, so like sociopaths. even like sociopaths, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, emotions then are, like, for animals, you could then assume possibly telling them how situations are dangerous or how they're safe or, you know, vice versa, that, that sort of thing. A rat isn't going to run out into a big, bright, open room because they're scared of bright, open spaces because this... Tells them that they could likely to get picked off by a bird or right, whatever. Right, they exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So their emotions there are guiding their decision making, and that they learning process. And you do this as a child. You you learn when you play. Like, I yeah, it's fun. You're laughing, and then you kick someone in the face, and they cry, <laughs> and you learn that that's that's negative. What you did mm-hmm. caused that person to cry. And that probably made you feel bad. And mm-hmm. now you learn from, oh, well, I didn't mean to do that. So I'm not going to kick that person in the face again. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not on purpose.
0: Right, right, so, right.
1: I mean, your emotions, these are these are guiding the way that you learn and the way that you develop. And it comes back to this like um, deprivation during your critical developing phase. If you don't have these social interactions, you don't learn... The emotions, appropriately, you don't know how to respond to someone who is crying mm-hmm. or who is angry or, you know, whatever you, if you've never been experienced to any of this or been exposed to any of this before, now you don't know how to respond. Right. So you, you learn these things. You learn appropriate behavior,
0: behaviors through, mm-hmm. through this. So they're really like... Like a way to interface with other people and the environment. Like it's, you know, and for emotions to work, you have to be able to express emotion and also understand the expression of emotion coming from another person. Right. So it's really a form of communication.
1: Yeah, I, I think so.
0: And a way to sort of regulate behavior and respond to the environment and stuff and that to me is really trippy because again it's kind of like when i was talking about our brains in last thing like our brains knowing that it's good for us to sync with this other guy's brain you know but it's also these emotions are like there again like as a buffer for us in the world and sort of acting on our behalf even without our sort of implicit knowledge you know like a lot of times you don't want to be sad but there's a reason that you're sad and so understanding why you're sad or why the person across from you is sad, you know, your example of getting kicked in the face, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but yeah. So it's, and I guess that's why the, 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 term like listen to your emotions, you know, but yeah, we still, have, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like that's obviously again, you know, stretching into whatever. I, mean, I,
1: I would say, yeah. So I mean, I think yes, emotions are a, they're facilitating communication
0: mm-hmm. so. yeah it's not the only way yeah
1: no and they can be i mean you can pick emotion out of voices right. out of someone's tone someone's you know yeah i mean yeah the look on their face right
0: and this is what the ghost did correct
1: yeah well i mean not the face thing past studies showed um, some goats' angry faces of humans. Like pictures. Yeah, pictures of angry human faces, and the goats have a negative response to this. So <laughs> they don't like...
0: And they do. They did it with horses, too, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, they
1: did, yeah. So horses and goats don't like angry people, so don't go
0: mean-mugging them. <laughs> don't go mean-mugging the no, horse. That's very nice. <laughs> it, no. You'll hurt its feelings. That's right.
1: <laughs> um, but this goat one, what they did is they... Um, in, an, in a previous study, they recorded a bunch of uh, goat vocalizations in like, different contexts, um, like positive and negative. And right. then here, they put them together in like, specific sequences, either positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, negative, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and they played them back to, to goats.
0: To other goats. To other
1: goats, yeah. Uh, and so then they wanted to look at the response.
0: Of the goat goat. that's hearing the pattern of positive and negative goat sounds.
1: And they looked at the behavior and the physiological response in terms of heart rate. and The
0: two things that we can measure.
1: Yeah, because you can't ask a goat how you feel.
0: Hey, goat, what do you think of this noise? (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, I mean, in a really quick, I guess, summary of the methods, they took these vocalizations, put them in the different context groups, whatever, for playback, and then they um, had this set up, this like little pen where they let one goat come in. At one end of the pen was the speaker, um, covered by like so it was all camouflage so the goat couldn't see it. And then they had this um, uh, camera recording behavior as well. And they had three phases. They had a habituation phase where they play this uh, a sequence of these calls. And then they have a dishabituation phase where they now play a new sequence.
0: So they change the order of the, yeah. of the calls.
1: And then they have a rehabituation. Or then they come back to the original ones and see how long it takes that goat to rehabituate.
0: Right. So during habituation, the idea is that they will eventually get used to the sound of these calls yeah. and have a smaller response?
1: Yeah. So their, their response rate will go down. They'll stop looking right. for, like... To, turning towards the speaker. The source of the sound. Because like it's less of like, oh, what is that? Yeah. It's more of like, i'm mm, mm, it's still going. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then when they play the new vocalization... So the
0: dishabituation phase. Yeah,
1: now they should see a, an increase again in the response.
0: Right, yeah. they should be able to tell this is different than what I just heard before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And they, so this is what they did, and that's, that's what they found. So they found that... During the habituation phase, they do they habituate to the, the vocalizations and they stop looking. But then there's a little bit of a lag when they start playing the dishabituation. So after the first set, usually towards the second set, then the goat really starts looking and responding. Hmm. And so they, it took them a while. to... Yeah, and they kind of speculated this might be because they're processing. They hear they might they hear the difference, but then they're thinking, being like, "What did I just hear? Is Maybe that they."
0: Is it not different? Yeah, exactly. What's so going it's on like here?
1: when you hear a noise, you stop and you like listen again. You're like, "Did I just hear that? Is yeah. someone in my house?" And then if you hear it again, you're like, "Oh shit!" And, and then, then you react, then yeah, you, yeah, and that's kind of what, what I understood that the ghosts were doing. Yeah,
0: or what they sus- you, suspected yeah. they were doing. So yeah,
1: and then and then they again play that little sequence, and then they go back to the rehabituation and again it, it, they habituate quicker to these because they had heard the first calls. Right. So yeah and um the results show that they uh, basically are able to recognize the difference between these calls between the positive and the negative calls, and their body responds in the same way right okay. so so they have when they're playing these negative calls they're they're responding their physiological response is a negative way mm-hmm. so.
0: Yeah. So again, so basically, they're just showing that goats can perceive emotion, or they can. Perc- well, they can. So it, pick the, out the difference in a negative or positive. Yeah. Call.
1: Yeah. So they're they're able to. So yeah, they
0: have the ability to perceive emotion through vocalization.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Between the positive and the and the negative, and they have the appropriate responses for those calls. Right. So.
0: But that, that does seem like kind of like a no-brainer, right? Like I would expect that goats would be able to.
1: Yeah, but it. I mean, this. This is contributing to um, our understanding, like a big picture mm-hmm. of the evolution of emotion and perception in non-human animals. Right. And I mean, because this field of emotion in animals is so contested. I mean, now it's kind of like it seems there's more and more papers that are like. Well, maybe it's actually something, mm-hmm. but for so long it was like fought against, and you were just kind of laughed at.
0: If you said fought. animals have emotions, yeah,
1: yeah, they criticized pretty heavily, and I mean, yeah. Charles Darwin was actually the first to suggest that animals had emotions. Mm. Yeah. People criticized that a lot.
0: Well, people still criticize him a lot. <laughs> Certain people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, it would make sense. Like we talked about, like if you know, you think of emotions as a tool for dealing with people, dealing with your environment. You know, like it's feedback, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. you're getting a feedback, yeah. And it informs you know behavior and all this stuff. It would make sense then that animals would have that, yeah, exactly. And that it would have it would have a common evolutionary origin. Like if we have it. And goats have it.
1: And the importance to survival. Like if you... Right. If an animal is afraid and this is coming across in their vocalizations, then the rest of the herd or whatever is going to respond appropriately to get themselves out of the danger.
0: Right.
1: So, I mean, like goats, they don't have a house that they can hide in like we do. So they're living and spending every day out in the field. And at night, when like a wolf is hunting or whatever. And they can't see each other. And they can't see each other, but they smell or whatever, a wolf or hear one or maybe they see one, they can now inform the rest of the herd that this is there. Right. And maybe, and they they probably do it like obviously re- repetitive, so they'll make this call several times. Like and an then, alarm call. Yeah. And then the rest of the goats are like, oh, shit, we should run and yeah. Or, like, a positive thing, like, I found food, and... I mean, this is... We we watched this documentary where the hyenas do this, right? Like, they make this call when they get a kill, mm-hmm. and they come from, like miles away. Yeah,
0: they all start congregating towards yeah. the... Not even the kill. I think it was, like, we have a potential target. Yeah,
1: that's right. So they coordinate the hunting through their... their
0: yeah. But that's more, like, that's just the vocalization. But I guess the vocalization has to...
1: It's convey, convey an
0: emotion. Well, information, but then emotion. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the, like just saying, yeah. hey, over here, we have a target, we can get it. There's not really an emotion associated with that. Maybe anticipation. excitement, anticipation, yeah.
1: I mean, this was the goat, the goat vocalizations that they use. Some of them, I mean, I didn't read the other study, but I read a little bit on the description of the calls that they used, and the negative ones were like... Um, Frustration. Some of them were frustration. Some of them were like when the goats were isolated. But the frustration was because when they they put two goats together and they gave one food and not the other one, so the one made these like happy anticipation calls for the food, and the other one's like, "What the hell? Like this is BS. Like, come on." Well, I'm not gonna you food. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Right. So there's yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. they termed them
0: frustration. Calls. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so vocalizations, I guess, are just one way in which you can convey emotions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I mean, body language. I mean, didn't they? Didn't it? Well, I mean, they show. They the, talk uh, about yeah. in this that yeah. if you if you mean mug a goat, it's going to have a negative response. So. Yeah,
1: and the calls also had the negative, like the physiological response was appropriate. the The variability of the heart rate went up, uh, down. Uh, I can't I, I remember I can't. which one it was, but the one. It's what
0: you'd play. expect from a negative. A motion call yeah.
1: yeah yeah high variability
0: i think is like normal low variability i don't, uh, I don't, yeah. I don't the know the details absolutely. don't matter like, yeah. Don't, yeah don't quote me on that yeah no it's interesting no, yeah it's,
1: but i mean monkeys have like specific call one type of monkey has specific calls for bird or yeah for like a snake a leopard and a bird Right, those predators,
0: of those monkeys. So not just a general alarm call.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like an alarm call is in, there's a snake, yeah. Yeah. there's a leopard. That's right, yeah. Look if up, there's a bird.
1: If you're high in the tree and you hear that one alarm call, then you know, well, I need to get down. And you get down fast.
0: Or if it's the snake one, you know yeah. you're going to get up.
1: That's right. Hmm. And so, I mean, it's likely, like, I mean, humans evolved. So we evolved... These tools, these perceptions of emotion through our communication as well.
0: Right. So do you think, well, obviously then, emotion is an older trait than language.
1: Mm, yeah. They, or vocalizations. Probably. Um, maybe when we were grunting, we were conveying stuff through the grunts and whistles
0: and whatnot that we made yeah well i mean i'm thinking of like some animals that like yeah (laughs) i don't know know. but i feel like i don't know i'm just really tripped out again you know the woo trippy thought behind it is that you know these emotions these things that we think of as like these like i said in humans we always have this high-minded ideal of our emotions and that we're in control of these things and that you know like the expression of love and you know sadness and grief and fun and all this stuff you mm. know in an artistic sense is this yeah. beautiful thing and it's like well yeah, it is not to say that it's not but it's also a very utilitarian thing that evolved as an interface for the world like mm. it's a it's a way i mean we talk about emotional intelligence right it's a way to interact with people and to help you interact with people and your environment that's the other trippy thing I think is that it's not just with people it's not just within another creature Mm. it's your environment like it's a way to sort of sense the environment or you know cope
1: with it and cope with it
0: yeah Yeah. which is really really interesting and then I guess it then speaks to you know again emotional disorders Mm -hmm. right like so why you know what, what is, because we we don't really know a lot about the source of emotion or how it is expressed in the brain or anything, right? Or do we?
1: No, there's emotional centers of the brain. Yeah. yeah and neurotransmitters are involved. And, yeah. I mean, there's some pretty good research about, like, um, negative emotional systems in the brain. Mm-hmm. Joseph Ledoux is, like, a huge researcher in this. I think the amygdala is, like, the hot spot
0: mm, For and, negative. Right?
1: Yeah. For emotions. And, and your limbic system. It's, I mean, I think it's decently studied.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I am just thinking I mean, about exactly all exactly
1: how and why things go wrong, we don't know. Yeah, we that's know. more of a, That's what I'm saying. Depression. I mean, yeah. There's like, so many unanswered questions there. Why? Why do you get depressed? Mm-hmm. So your neurotransmitters are imbalanced. What caused that? Right. Why? Why is it persistent? Why can't we fix it?
0: Right. And some of it is that you know that some things point to a genetic thing, some things point to a brain chemistry thing, some things point to an environment thing. There's Mm -hmm. obviously an interplay between all those three factors involved in things like depression Mm -hmm. and. You know when when i 'm thinking about emotion as like this evolved toolbox to interface with my environment and other people and mm-hmm. cope and understand with my environment and other people, it really t- says to me like it's you know because it's evolved there's this strong genetic thing but we know that environment is plays a role, so I guess that's yeah. you know maybe uh Some kind of wires crossed in the feedback loop between your environment like if your emotions are there to help you deal with your environment if something's crossed you can't properly your emotions can't properly process the environment or something i don't know i'm kind of (laughs) going way off on just again speculation alert but it's really it points to a really interesting way of viewing emotion Mm-hmm. and something that I think people don't think about a lot of like as your emotions as a toolbox yeah absolutely yeah,
1: yeah. fascinating yeah I think
0: so do you have anything else that you want to add to this discussion um, I don't know <laughs> no uh, I don't know. well let's wrap it up then I mean thank hug you for kids. what's that hug and love your kids talk to them <laughs> don't let them be antisocial. right that's a good yeah okay that's a good message yeah. that's a good message and uh well thanks for helping to yeah. take thanks. over from from brad
1: yeah i'll be the new brad from now on
0: <laughs> no I'm just you heard that brad no no we're looking to not replace brad we're gunning to replace no, you brad. no way <laughs> Sometimes, Brad. Sometimes, Brad. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We have a plane to catch sh- back you. to Germany, so we should do that. Also, folks, remember, if you need a sweet canvas poster yeah. and you're tired of carrying around SFN that. SFN
1: is coming, folks.
0: Which is the Society, Society for Neuroscience. Yeah. Big meeting. Big meeting coming up. Meeting. So if you don't want to carry around that crappy poster tube, Maybe you want to travel, you know, a couple of days before the conference, a couple of days after, and you don't want to carry that BS around. You just don't
1: want to get laughed at in the airport for carrying a stupid tube around. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't want to feel the negative emotions from people's <laughs> shitty social behavior of laughing at you for carrying around a tube. Right. Or if you want to feel the positive emotions of all your colleagues at the meeting. That's and like, right. Oh look at this, this fancy joy. canvas Watch poster! the
1: jealousy on everyone's face as you unfold your yeah. fabric poster.
0: And then if you don't need it anymore, you could use it as like a blanket or yeah. a picnic blanket or That's you mean, know all sorts of things. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. how am going to towel a towel. Oh, yeah, we you don't never know. We haven't got one yet. Yeah, I'm so going to see if we can get. Towel. <laughs> I'm going to see if we can get my face printed on one. Just have a big Brad poster. The look on your face. I wish <laughs> people could see it. You don't want to put that up in our house?
1: It's academic posters. You can go to any t-shirt shop and get your face on.
0: Not this big and not in this quality that doesn't crease. So, featherposter.com. Yes, start with the academic posters. We'll see where we can take it in the we'll future. We'll get some labels, some scientific labels for your face. Oh yeah and then it's scientific. I don't know, I know Simon, he's a nice guy who runs featherposter.com so maybe he'll put my face on one, I don't know. But, if you want to get a poster, a canvas poster that doesn't crease, that you can pack up, fit in your bag very, very easily for your next meeting, go to featherposter.com, at the checkout use the code 2BRAD, T-W-O-BRAD and you get $10 off. So, it's a sweet deal. Alright Teresa, let's Mm -hmm. pack her up and head to the airport. And we'll see all you Brad fans next time.
1: Sweet. Ciao, Bella.
0: just say speak your truth Teresa <laughs> Don't let other people tell you what to do I wish we had a video of this because you
1: oh, just we... start <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: we'll do <clears throat> I have to get ready and now we're gonna hear you chug a lug in your water and then <laughs> Don't spit that water out.